Happy New Year's, listeners. I hope 2023 is better. We're recording this, obviously, in uh, 2022, and it's been a shit show of a year. So there's mm-hmm. that. But the bright spots in the year 2022 and the things that make us hopeful for 2023 are our Patreon subscribers. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Shelly, Tara, Rachel, Abby, the Reverends Langenstein, and Annalise. Thank you for your money. The show wouldn't happen without you. That's right. If you have $5 or more a month to spare and would like to join our patron supporters and get access to bonus content over on the Patreon, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash WTHIAP. If not, you all know the drill. Listen, share, do all the stuff, and uh, we'll keep going into this into this new year. Yeah. That's right. And now, on to the show. One, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Listeners, this is our last of the the episodes from our vault that we are releasing here. And this is Minisode number five, Money. Money. This is right after a primary debate amongst the Democrats where Elizabeth Warren just tore apart Michael Bloomberg. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, remembering that moment, it's still a sweet moment. I still love it. It's a good moment. I have to agree. I'll, I have only really one thing to say about the episode, and then I'd love to know what notes you've taken on it, Joe, is this is an episode that I think I think we, we are the most um, in tune to, like, local church ministry. And like the way and like the way in messy ways in which local church ministry and Christian ethics around surrounding money, like, you know, kind of clash. But Mm -hmm. then but then the kind of really beautiful way, like it can kind of work really, really well. Right. Like I remember talking about um, the small business owners in my church and and how it, it, it strikes me as incredibly silly to say, oh, because you have more money than other people in this town, like you are, you know, your your soul is 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 sent, heading heading to perdition. And I go, that's silly. Like like they they are uh, res- not only are they feel the weight of their responsibility mm-hmm. as members of the community and as Christian people, but like they are also contributing wildly to this town. Mm-hmm. You know, using their money and their resources in a way that like we cannot say of like Jeff Bezos, like like two totally right. different things, right? Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I that really hit me too with this. Um, it, but it also reminded me of like the mental backflips I would do in ministry in general. <laughs> like mm. I think it's important to be nuanced in how you talk about money, especially in like local communities, because like there you can have the most impact on people who are not using their money well, but also like helping people to use their money well, because like you were in community with the local grocery store owner. And like if their wages are obscenely low, then you can have that conversation with them. Like if you are building that relationship, you can be a a real voice for them. And like, I think there's genuinely a role for that. I also think there's a role for the prophetic. Like I also think there's a role for James, you know, 
the uh, the biblical James. Yeah, so I get I I go back and forth. There in this I don't feel like I'm necessarily like compromising on my beliefs. I feel like I'm finding a way to like make make ministry real in my setting. But I also, um, it makes me think about the ways that I've talked about like racial justice since then, where like you, you really have to finagle it in order to get people to hear. And I'm just so tired of it. Like, I just Mm. want people to be aware and like open about injustice. And, um, we just don't live in a world like that. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I, and I don't think I disagree with what we say in the episode, but yeah, it is very local churchy. So I'm excited for people to listen to it. That's right. What the hell is a pastor? So listeners, we're recording this shortly after the Nevada democratic debate where Elizabeth Warren just tore up Michael Bloomberg and it was beautiful and a delight and just everything you want to see because I don't think another billionaire is going to save us if Trump even is a billionaire, but I don't have a big trust for the rich. I think the uber rich in America are part of what is damaging the United States, and I believe that we should tax the ever-loving crap out of them so that we can get some of that wealth to be returned to the rest of society. And I believe this. Because in James, it says, woe to you who are rich. And it says, does your uh, favoritism of the rich not damage you? It is, is it not the rich who oppress you? And Jesus mm. says to, you know, give up all of your, sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor and follow Jesus. Jesus spends a lot of time talking to rich people about how they're going to need to give up their wealth in order to follow Jesus. And as a person who really wants to follow Jesus and believes that if more of us took on the mindset of the Christ, then the world would be a better place. I am all about yelling at some rich people because I think they're ruining the world just as they have always done from the times of ancient Rome up until these days today. I have a lot of thoughts about that. I have a lot of (laughs) thoughts about wealth. Um, But I also know that there are a few people in my church who have more money than other people in the community and who are quite generous with that money. And uh, we use it to keep the lights on in our building and to pay my salary. So that's uh, that's kind of what I want to poke at in this mini-sode is like my strident opposition to the rich while acknowledging that like I am one of the most globally rich people Um, but at the same time uh, knowing that in order for my church to exist and in order for my ministry to exist as it does right now I need rich people what do you think? Sure Mm. well so I tend to uh, approach this issue in two very distinct ways with a third way being like pure pragmatism slash if I had uh, slash just about every one of my problems would be resolved with a million dollars. Yes. You, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so maybe I'll start with that. Cause I think that you and I have a lot of kinship on, on at least two of the three, possibly all three. Uh, but the third one, meaning most of my problems would be solved with a million dollars. They mm-hmm. totally would. Your, most of your problems would be solved with a million dollars. Most of my problems would be solved with a million dollars. 
mostly because uh, right now, uh, particularly for folks in crippling student debt, mm -hmm. whatever money we do have is effectively monopoly money, mm -hmm. where, where it's just sort of like it's kind of like fake. It's not really real. I, I'm, you know, in a pit of debt and, and I don't really care to debate anybody on whether or not I should have any kind of debt relief or, or, or whatever. I think anybody who takes the, the ethics of the Bible and of the Christian tradition seriously would have to come to the conclusion that all debts, no matter how they are acute or who has them should be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's built into the moral witness of the scripture, and uh, and and if you don't believe me, you should like read the book. Right. Like, let's can we talk about real fast the jubilee year? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So that's something that's in the law, in the law and the prophets, and I would have to look it up to see exactly where it's at. But there is within the structure of kind of the laws of ancient Israel, where at the end of a 50-year period or at the end of a seven-year period, depending on where you're reading it and, and how deeply you want to relieve debt, I think at the end of 50 years, the all of the land, the ancestral land that has been sold or bought or purchased or taken or, or however it is, reverts back to the original ancestral uh, holders of the land. And so that means that nobody can amass more land than they would really be able to use or than they really need. It's a way of just um, resetting the system so that nobody can accumulate massive amounts of wealth that they don't really need for this world. And in the same time at the Jubilee year, all other debts are forgiven. Everybody gets a clean slate. Those who are in indentured service get out of their indentured service. It's just, it's a reset. It's a reset that's built into the idea of the ancient Israelite economy that Jesus, when Jesus in the, in Luke's gospel, comes out and is like, this is what my, my goal is. He comes to set the captives free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the Jubilee year. So, and, and it comes with that idea of, of Sabbath and rest and, and giving your, like giving your fields rest and all this kind of stuff. It's giving your, your, your debt a rest almost. But the idea is that everybody can get caught up in debt through XYZ poor decision or through poor lending practices and um, predatory lending practices. And there's a built-in reset to that system. And so even though there's a sense of um, generational wealth attached to the land, no one can accumulate massive amounts of wealth that would be to the detriment of the rest of all the tribes of Israel. Now, there's no real evidence that the Jubilee year was routinely practiced um, because I think we do find that, well, I don't know. Basically, everybody in uh, Jesus's day in Judea, unless you were like Herod, wasn't doing too hot. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, but that that idea is in there and is in the Bible that um, that struggling under debt is not something that God intends for us to do. Now there is a parable where Jesus says that you'll be thrown in jail until you pay the last penny, but I think He's being maybe pragmatic with that. Anyway, just wanted to go into that biblical segue. Go ahead with your with your thoughts. Yes, and and by the way, if if one of it's one of our more um, uh, oh, I don't know, nerdy listeners uh, really wants to read a really cool book about this. 
Catherine Tanner's most recent book is actually on this exact thing. Mm. Uh, Christianity and the New Spirit of Capitalism uh, is uh, her Gifford Lectures. Yeah. Um, and uh, which, and by the way, if you want to watch the Gifford Lectures that she did, they're all on YouTube. Um, but, they are. But so I, I was I was in Edinburgh when she was giving those Gifford Lectures, and they are dense. So uh, yes, they are very dense. <laughs> yeah, like get make some tea and and plan a Friday evening in <laughs> to listen to them. But like they are, it's astounding. As somebody who had um had very little reason to doubt capitalism at the time that I was listening to the lectures, it really started a whole lot of stuff happening in my brain that was. I am really thankful for it. Yes, yes. Um, I'm not going to – I could not piece together the whole uh, argument for, for you guys in, in a podcast anyway. But I think that one of my, the more compelling parts of that uh, book and those lectures is her claim that debt is a sort of anti-eschaton. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian theology kind of has this idea of the eschaton, sort of the end, the um, the full consummation of creation and of uh, God's will and and the kingdom of God and all all kinds of great images and, and ideas. And um, for one of the, the points Tanner makes is that well, ultimately debt um, um, is sort of this practice that stunts the eschaton. Mm. Right, you know this this practice that, by its nature, runs counter to Christian eschatology and the Christian view of 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 God being all in all and and all the captives are set free and and things like that. And so it, it's one of those it's one of those practices that isn't sort of like um, particularly. And when she talks about that in particular, she's talking about a sort of late stage capitalism. You know, like like highly predatory lending. You know, folks are d debt and debt um, uh, and interest is sort of the primary way wealth is being uh, created. You mm -hmm. know, and because of that, like this sort of practice of 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 debt and and forcing folks to go into debt uh, is sort of one of those um, <laughs> uh, completely non. Uh, justifiable, you know, anti-eschatological practices. There are a number of practices that the church, you know, Catholic, not the, just the Catholic church, but the church in general has stood behind that uh, reluctantly and sometimes not reluctantly enough uh, that uh, we also affirm will not be present in the eschaton. And we do that in an attempt to uh, produce some good. Ultimately, the entire just war tradition is set up like that, right? right? The just war tradition is set up at its best um, as a, a way of ethically being in the world, even though the world is screwed up, right? Yeah. Um, but debt, <laughs> in, in this way of thinking, and in this uh, kind of late-stage capitalistic view of, of the way debt works, uh, is sort of not like that. <laughs> it's it's all it's all to produce wealth. It's not really to produce uh, anything good. Yes. But anyway, that's my little that's my little summary. Um, 
so that's what but but yeah so the kind of the first way i think about this stuff joe is oh man I, people need money don't let anybody tell you it's not about money of course right. it's about money you know like like of course it's about money people need that if i don't have money adrea can't eat and if adrea can't eat then i will if adrea can eat then i definitely am not eating you know like, mm. like it's just it's just one of those things um so and so I'm not I'm not here to deny that. Um, the other side I look at it is a uh, kind of really. I mean I'm definitely a Marxist. There was a <laughs> there was a uh, a shirt a meme. It's not really a meme, but it was like a picture of a shirt that was going around on Facebook that some of my friends uh, Nick, a a pastor and listener of the podcast, hi Nick, was posting hi Nick, and and the the it's a black shirt. And on the front, it says, going to college did not make me a liberal. And on the back is a hammer and sickle. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, yeah, that sums me up really well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am not a liberal. <laughs> I am a Marxist. <laughs> but uh, so on one hand, like I tend to kind of see uh, the the – questions about like wealth very structurally and very materially where we're talking about production and the means of production and and um uh one of my favorite phrases which is uh, profit is theft like mm. all the profit is is um wealth that your labor helped produce that you are not entitled to <laughs> yeah yeah not to bring uh, John Wesley and Jesus into this, but but I'm gonna. John Wesley's idea about money is to earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Earning all you can meaning like do good work and provide for yourself and for those who are dependent on you. Save all you can meaning not hoarding your wealth, but after you've provided for yourself and for those who are dependent on you and done so in a rather thrifty way, you need to be saving all that you can so that you can give it all away to the poor. So John Wesley doesn't have a concept of uh, you need to be putting things away in a 401k to provide for your retirement. I mean, he very much is like, listen, any penny that you have over what you need to survive should be given to the poor because that's not really your money to begin with. And how many times does Jesus talk about not storing up things in barns? And how many times does Jesus talk about that that you have to like how it, it's impossible for the rich to get to the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's as difficult as a camel going through the eye of a needle. And then back in James, it, it talks about all of your treasures rotting here on earth because you're hoarding them for yourselves. You're not giving them away to the people who need them. I mean, none of this money is ours to begin with. It's not ours to hoard. It is ours to give away. And that is the, the primary orientation of of money in the gospel, I think. Sure. Whew, sorry. Yeah, so going back to to what you were saying before. Sure. So all of that I agree with. The the kind of final thing that I think about you you sort of touched on, which is um the really the the idea that hey, for the Christian tradition and for the scripture, you really just can't get around um, the notion 
that wealth is before wealth is purely material it is spiritual mm-hmm. and, and all i mean by that is it has real like spiritual um impact on people and on us uh for a hundred in a hundred ways you know like mm-hmm. there's i think a lot of times and it, the funny thing is i think that the the history of the church goes in waves on this because we see we see lots of people throughout the church really being critical about wealth and so i don't i don't think it's fair to kind of paint the strange picture like well the early church was really critical on wealth and then it all went downhill no right. no the early church was critical on wealth monastic communities are critical on wealth you know all yeah. kinds of critical like I mean, think about St. Francis. Think about Dorothy Day. Uh, there, Yeah, there are plenty of people over the course of the history of the church that have realized that, you know, it's really true when we say that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so um, one of the things that I've been recently attracted to, uh, and a lot of this is just stuff that I've been reading for a, a while now, and and being a pastor, I see it in a slightly different way, too, because because our relationship with money as pastors and workers in the church is a little more complicated than that, uh, than just saying nobody should have wealth, you know? Right. Um, which is, by the way, not something I believe in, but, but it's not really something that I think is necessarily true, but that's besides the point. Um, but like one of the thing, anyway, one of the things that I've been reading and thinking a lot about is that kind of, deep impact like like uh the spiritual impact of all of this and all of its sort of functions right mm-hmm. and so on one hand there's a what i would consider to be a, a really obvious horrific spiritual impact uh on that that billionaires have on people mm. which is um not only is there this really difficult material impact that because of a a uh because ultimately to be a billionaire is to fail to see something uh, uh, really, really true about human about humanity, which is all of us are interdependent on each other. Exactly. You know, like, like I think that's really correct. Like to be a billionaire is really just to miss that completely mm-hmm. and to kind of and to kind of assume that that's like not necessarily true. And so. That's really the problem with with tax evasion, right? And tax loopholes, and you've got a lot of really, uh, you know, really well-meaning uh, libertarian white white men who really think that this is all fine. And I do my best not to not to, to keep the the condescension out of my voice. <laughs> but, but but libertarians are not my favorite group of people because I think they also fail to see the true the, the obvious thing about being people which is we all need each other and so mm-hmm. this idea that somebody is that that there's only one person entitled to your money and that's you is egyptian <laughs> to say the mm. least <laughs> you know um but but whatever um but so there's that kind of spiritual impact right like because Folks who have amassed great wealth, like really, 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 like billionaires worth of billion, billion dollars worth of wealth, because those folks have done that by exploiting people and and by yes. failing to pay their fair share in taxes and by um, 
you know, doing X, Y, failing to care for the orphan and the widow, failing to care for all of these, you know, people in their life, or uh, what what tends to be um, the more insidious problem uses their money as an insulation so that they don't have to encounter orphans and widows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is really uh, what, which is kind of where I'm where I'm going with this. Um, because that's true, there's a real spiritual impact, right? There's spiritual and material impact. On the other side of it is um, that thing I just said. What wealth tends to do, I think, for everybody, this is this is for people who are not millionaires now. What wealth tends to do, just like what our stuff tends to do, is it tends to uh, uh, insulate us and blind us and keep us from seeing um, that very obvious thing, or, or at least that obvious thing that the Christian tradition helps us see, which is every one of us is in this together. As Gregory, mm-hmm. Gregory of Nyssa says, we are all together the image of God. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, hence, Joe, you bear the image, absolutely, yet in perhaps a more profound sense. We only bear the image in so far that we are a body together. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least as far as Gregory of Nyssa, well, at least as far as Gregory of Nyssa's sister Macrina is concerned. <laughs> well, we all know that she's the bright one in the group. <laughs> well, Gregory of Nyssa would agree. He would. <laughs> he would. Um, and so, um, because of that kind of truism, because of that truth, um, wealth and amassing and hoarding wealth um, causes us to believe a spiritual illusion, mm. which is somehow I am sufficient. Mm. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and that tends to be how I preach on wealth, actually. Um, um, I also can get really uh, what do I want to say? Uh, um, uh, uh, punchy and and just kind of lay it bare and just be like Jesus tells us to get rid of our money so do it you know I can do that for effect mm-hmm. but like I'm if I'm really want to talk about like greed you know and and you you quoted uh, the parable um, of of building up barns and stuff like that mm-hmm. that's a really important parable Jesus teaches on greed because and I actually preached on this a couple months ago. Because um, Jesus is very clear, the person who, you know, the person in the parable who is being afflicted by the passion of greed is not Scrooge McDuck, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. I think I said that in my sermon. He is not Ebenezer Scrooge. He's not Scrooge McDuck. He is not this angry, miserly um, person who who looks at gold and says give me more he's not mr krabs who who kisses <laughs> his money before before bed instead he is a man of great fear mm-hmm. that um that that his he does not have enough to be sufficient and so he builds um bigger barns with the money he has hoarded in order to hoard that money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Jesus very clearly calls this man greedy. 
Mm-hmm. And foolish, yeah. because that very night his life will be taken from him, right? There is no amount of money you can amass that's going to change the reality of the world around you. Exactly. And so for me, I, I think that that's sort of um, one of the kind of really concrete and spiritual, both at the same time, uh, reasons why it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's it's on one hand, I, I, and I think it's true. I think the liberation theologians are correct, like I do. It's on one hand a material call to create and, and help participate in a more just society. On one hand, that is true. I, I agree. I agree with that. On the other hand, um, the simple reality that Jesus reveals to us is that um, wealth has the ability to um, uh, screw up our spiritual senses. Yeah. You know, that, and, and, and as a result, screws up our ethics, right? Like yeah. as a result, makes it, uh, makes it harder for us to do what we need to do. Um, it causes us to see uh, ourselves as um, islands, right? Or it mm-hmm. causes... It causes us to see. It, it causes us to give in to our fear. I'm preaching on this uh, uh, this Sunday. You know, I, I think I talked to you about a, or we chatted about um, a tweet that either I saw or you saw or that you tweeted and that I was responding to. I can't remember exactly where it came from, but this person said uh, in, in this tweet said. Um, the more and more I dive into the Gospels, the more I realize that the simplest commandments of Jesus are the most difficult to follow. Mm-hmm. And the f- said is, do not be afraid. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm preaching on that, and, and because that really speaks to me. And, and um, wealth causes us to fail that commandment kind of flat out. Right. You know? Time and time again, it causes us to do that, and it, it, because it may, <laughs> you know, why why amass wealth? Well, according to the teaching of Jesus, we amass wealth because we're afraid, not not because we, you know, not not because we look at shiny things and we want them, but because we're afraid. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not magpies. Uh, we're like, it's not that, I mean, on some level we are, I think, cause we all do love a good shiny thing to look at. Uh, but I think that's just because we are drawn to beauty. Um, yeah, I, I think all that's really true. Um, and I think that that is the, um, that's what people don't like about say stewardship campaigns in the church or, or things like that is there is uh, like a kind of inherent fear or panic in the pastor's voice. Sometimes when we talk about the church needing money, is that like, listen, the, the lights are going to go off. We're not going to be able to do this if you don't give this. And I was in a stewardship um, seminar a couple weekends ago and the, the person who was leading it was very much like, that's the exact, wrong way to talk about it don't be embarrassed to talk about money don't be afraid of talking about money and don't don't have 
your uh, plan for stewardship based on fear. Instead, focus on what the church wants to do, should be doing, is called to do, and then tell people that, like, buy into this, you know? Like, let's not be afraid of not being able to gather in our space anymore. Let's focus on what we want to do and what we need to do it. And I think that that is, um, I think that if we had that same orientation toward money in both our personal lives and in like the organization of the church that we knew what we wanted to do and we thought about how to do it and we ordered our lives accordingly then that the world would be a different place because you do like you said before you need money that's just how capitalism works there's no real way around that um, until, you know, the global economy crashes and it's just a zombie apocalypse out there. Um, but like, as of right now, this is how it functions. And our, it's almost as if we need to develop an economic, uh, like a personal spiritual economic along the lines of the just war theory of, okay, we just need to practically live in this world. How can we be as just as possible with our money? And, right. you know, the early church leaned on Lydia, you know, there, there were rich women who were funding Jesus because like, as, as a friend of Gandhi said, Gandhi's poverty cost his friends a lot of money because existence just requires money and Jesus's right. ministry required money. And so I think that, um, instead of, uh, railing against the rich in our community, um, unless they have gotten rich by like ill-gotten means not corruption but like like as we said before if you are amassing a ton of money there's a strong chance that somewhere along the way somebody did not get paid what they deserved um so but like for somebody who's just upper middle class because they happen to be a lawyer or a doctor or or inherited a lot of property or something um the message doesn't need to be like woe unto you who are rich but rather you have been given this gift and the christian life calls you to use this gift for the benefit of all of us because like like gregory of nyssa says like it's all of us or none of us right the the salvation of the world comes to the salvation of all and we are we're all in this together Right, right. And, and, you know, and I, I'm glad you're saying this, this, because I think that as pastors, we um, encounter this in a very real way, where we encounter people in our communities and in our churches, so that that have money, and not Mm -hmm. only have money, but but also, particularly in small towns, not only have money, but but have the resources to help and aid in a substantial way, the people the town there are leaders of my church who are who who love jesus very much and who love their church and their town very much and are some of the only small business owners in town Uh who and who employ you know who have some of the only employment opportunities in town well in in many ways we're we're, we're talking about folks that um, really see part of what it means to be both a christian and a productive citizen you know, mm-hmm. of this area um, as as using their money well. And, um, you know, I, I uh, despite my Marxism and despite my my love of liberation theology and my love of being provocative, you know, I 
it strikes me as inherently not terribly wise to kind of speak of all money as sort of um, uh, unhelpful, unuseful. Right. We need to get rid of it. Like, like it, it's not, first of all, it's not reality, as right. you and I are saying. Um, and, and also, it's just not, uh, it, it generally, <laughs> in my experience, uh, the folks who say kind of odd things like that are, um, uh, are, are white people with Apple products. Yeah, you know, that's true. Right? <laughs> so I, uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 there are times where I'm just like, eh, I don't have time for some of this kind of weirdness. Like I get provocative when I need to, and I think that we need to. You know, mm-hmm. I think that Michael Bloomberg needs to be stopped. Right. You know, and I really, and quite, quite clearly, I think he needs to be stopped. I think that about Trump too. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> people. If people are shocked by hearing that now, then nobody's been listening. But like, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. like, and the reason for that is, is I'm looking at people with immense wealth who really are doing what James Five tells us rich people do. Like, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's ridiculous. But but what? But I would never quote James Five at. Um, the owner of the local grocery store in my town. Right. That's ridiculous. Like that's absurd. That that's not what James five is, is a, a, you know, applies to. Um, and so I think that that's sort of the tenuous relationship, right? The, the relationship that the church has with money is difficult. Um, because on one hand, I want to make that very clear, you know, Hey, Jesus tells us that our money is um, a, a, a radioactive waste. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. and it, it has the ability. Nuclear n- nuclear power can bring power to a to a, a a community that sorely needs it, but radioactive waste can really hurt us, right? You mm-hmm. know, like, and so we need to handle it correctly because if we if we fail to handle it correctly, it will not only corrupt us, um, but it will corrupt us in the most uh, strange and difficult to see ways. Mm-hmm. If suddenly somebody starts behaving like Ebenezer Scrooge, that's obvious. Well, well, you've been corrupted by your money. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, of course. But if if suddenly somebody's money causes them to look around and 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 somebody who has money realizes, you know, I I don't think I know what the price of milk is anymore mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. or know who uh, my neighbor is, you know, if, where are the poor folks of my neighborhood? Oh, they must not exist. No, no, that can't be true. You know, <laughs> well, they, they might exist. not exist in your neighborhood, but they exist somewhere in your area. <laughs> right. Right. You know, um, when that happens, that that's an insidious way that money corrupts or when we begin to think that money can make me sufficient i struggle with that a lot i'll say that so i i'm very candid at my church about the way in which i struggle with money because i i'm always afraid i don't have enough money like i'm always super afraid of that and Mm -hmm. i i don't want to look at my money i don't want beth to talk to me about money like i just 
because it terrifies me and, and it and it just it, it always concerns me and um that's sort of the primary way i think i struggle the most with money is that money then sort of becomes uh my shield mm. well, if i have money then i'll be good you know and I'm not looking for a billion dollars. I'm just looking for not having to worry about money. Yeah. And that's all very fine. But that sort of I'm but but I begin that begins to be the thing that keeps me from uh um loving and being fully with vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. And um realizing realizing that those exact that I that I must be in community with those vulnerable people if God God's image will truly be reflected in me. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think that's good. I think this has been a good mini episode. Do you have other than Catherine Tanner's Gifford Lectures? Do you have a book that you uh, would like to send people toward about money? We read uh, William Cavanaugh's Being Consumed in Power, Sex, and Money. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what comes a, to mind for me. Yeah. Kat, oh, you read that in Power, Sex, and Money. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I think Kavanaugh is really, really great. Um, and I have a copy of Being Consumed. I think that's a good one, too. Um, yeah, I would say those two are are probably the, the two best ones I can think of that are, like, really recent books. Um, other than John Wesley... Uh, there's a really cool um, book that's been put out in the popular patristics series. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just go go and type that in in popular patristics, and it's it's called On Social Justice. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called, uh, and it's a collection of three or four of Saint Basil the Great's uh, homilies on wealth. Ooh, yeah, Basil's good on it too. They are very good. They are very good, very convicting. And so that, that might be a good older uh, resource to have. I support that. Well, yes. will you sign us off? Yes. The, uh, this has been a mini episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? I'm Spanks Reebok, and this is The Dude, and we will <laughs> see you next time. Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Shomolf, performed by Joe Shomolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at what the hell is a pastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to pillow talk, merch, signed cards, custom essays, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and may your colons always be cancer-free, friends.